Hey everyone, if you know me, you know that I've been investing in precious metals for many, many years. Once I realized that private banking cartels could drastically manipulate currencies, putting my family savings in jeopardy, I decided to take matters into my own hand and diversify our savings strategy. This is why I buy physical silver and gold and invest in metals through our Roth and 401k. And I only invest with Colonial Metals Group. CMG is the exclusive sponsor of The Shannon Joy Show, and they're helping me set up a safe and secure self-directed IRA where I have access to my assets no matter what the stock market or, for that matter, the government is doing. Let the team of experts at Colonial help you protect your family's future with an extra special offer just for the SJ audience. Click on the link in the description below or call 888-705-0950. That's 888-705-0950 and you'll be eligible to receive a free safe and up to $10,000 in free silver just for the SJ audience. Join me today and take back your power. Secure your wealth with Colonial Metals Group. Hello, world, and welcome to the Shannon Joy Show. We're broadcasting from the Joy Virtual Studio right here in the beautiful Finger Lakes region of New York State. So glad to be with all of you tonight. If you're listening on the 50,000-watt blowtorch, News Radio Wham 1180 AM. Thank you so much for being with me tonight. If you're listening on any of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, you name it. Thank you guys so much for listening and being with us tonight as well. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review and even leave a comment that helps us with the algorithms. For those of you who are now viewing on Rumble, so thankful for this new and growing audience Bear with us as we figure out how to do video here in the Shannon Joy Show. It's a little different, but we're learning and you're all being very, very patient. If you support our independent reporting, please consider going to theshannonjoy.com, theshannonjoy.com. It is my website. We are independent. It is the reason we're able to bring you a lot of the reporting that you won't hear on some of the bigger media platforms, even some of the bigger conservative media platforms. And it is your support, your contributions that keep this show going. So thank you so much, everyone who does support this show. And for those of you who like what we do, please consider that support as well. I am so blessed to welcome into the Joy Virtual Studio tonight a very courageous woman, an investigative reporter for Town Hall. Her name is Mia Kathal. You have seen her reporting the blockbuster four-part disturbing series that has been released on Town Hall over the past seven days. She details the suburban pedophile ring, uh, horrific facts in Atlanta, Georgia, of a suburban LGBTQ child sex trafficking ring. There are so many details, so many layers to this story. The reporting is in-depth, and you may have seen Mia in some other interviews. Tonight, I hope to go a little bit deeper with Mia on the background story of this reporting and what she's uncovered. Mia, thank you so much for being with me tonight on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate you sharing this story, getting the word out, and just generating interest in it. You mentioned before we started the interview that you were very worried 
that this story, that your work over the past six months would be buried yet again. Uh, this story actually broke uh, in, I believe, you know, six months ago with, with the arrest of these two gentlemen in Atlanta, Georgia. It was horrifying. But then, very conspicuously, it was completely blackballed, not covered on the mainstream news media outlets, not even covered on conservative media outlets. And yet you decided to take this up along with the editors of Town Hall. What led you to that decision? What were those conversations like in the earlier days when you're like looking out there saying this is the this is a bigger story in terms of how horrifying it was in the scope? This is bigger than even the the Jeffrey Epstein situation, right? Because you're dealing with older kids, you're dealing, you're not dealing with the CPS and family courts in the state, yet no one wanted to report on it. Right. The media blackout was a great indicator that there was more there. There was more to be dug. And even with conservative media, just ignoring it after it broke, after the arrest happened, there was this midnight armed raid on the adoptive father's mansion. And so I reported on that. And I, I saw a lot of outlets were just happy with the clicks that it generated, made national news for about a day, a week, and then everybody moved on. And it seems to be the case for a lot of these high profile stories. It happened with the 10 year old rape victim in Ohio, the one uh, whose mother hauled her across state lines to get an abortion. Mm. And uh, you might remember that one in Ohio. And then they went to Indiana. Turns out it was an illegal alien child rapist. And so suddenly that story disappeared. And after that broke over the summer, people haven't really been following up on it, although the trial is ready to begin. And so this is a similar story that I just didn't want it to disappear as we waited for local news to start reporting about it again. And then national news jumps on. But I noticed that local news wasn't reporting on it. Mm. And we rely on them far too much for on the ground reporting. And a lot of national news, what they do is just um, do like a watered down write up of what local news is reporting. But I didn't even see AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, huge publication in Atlanta, write about something that should really matter to members of their community because this was happening in their backyards. And so, yeah, it really was the family member who I worked with over the past few months to nurture this story. They emailed us at Town Hall and they were really happy with the quality of the first article. They said it was very thorough and they knew that we could dig. And so they approached me and they really just wanted to work with me in any way they could. They said, I may have inside knowledge as a family member. It appears that William and Zachary, the adoptive fathers, kept trying to reach out to them from jail. So they're Mm. saying, what can I do? How can I be of assistance? And they, I would say, is the true hero in this story to be brave enough because there are some family members who are scared to be put on public trial as well. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people are questioning. There were warning signs or red flags. Why didn't more family members speak up? But I would like to put the blame solely on the actual child abusers. Because mm-hmm. when you hear about notorious serial killers like Ted Bundy, You heard that he was charming and charismatic and people wouldn't have realized what he was capable of that. Yeah. These uh, child abusers are narcissistic sociopaths. So it's really hard to imagine what you would have done in their position, the family members. Plus they only saw these kids four times a year, Easter, Christmas. And so I think who's more to blame if we were to play the blame game 
are the mandated reporters at school. They're trained Mm -hmm. to recognize child sexual abuse and they saw the kids every weekday. And so maybe they could have witnessed something or recognized something. Mm. Um, And there was something I wish I could have mentioned in my report. Uh, It was just so much to put down on paper. But as I was going through the one uh, defendant's social media posts, because they post it constantly. Right. Um, he wrote about how the pandemic had the kids at home because of remote learning. And so for over a year, they were stuck at home without any escape. They they couldn't even go to school to see their friends, to see the teachers. So maybe that's it. The teachers couldn't even see them. They, they didn't know what was going on behind closed yeah. doors. And so just imagining the hell that they lived through over a year without any kind of escape. I think that you nailed it in terms of describing these two gentlemen as narcissistic sociopaths that is especially revealed in the audio recordings uh, with this family member where they continue to talk about themselves, the conditions, their lives, their livelihoods, their money, their mansion, right? Just a, a glancing, passing, uh, you know, concern for these two little boys and Mia, something that stood out to me was in listening to those audio tapes, they didn't appear to think they had done anything wrong. And that to me was mind blowing that in this new world of, I suppose, anything goes, if it feels good, do it sex with anyone, anyone, you know, at any time for any reason, just for the purposes of pleasure. When I look at what's happening systemically within our schools across the country, as they just shove the libraries and the curriculum full of full-scale child pornography, and we're working on that here in New York state to try to get that out of our local school systems. But just this, it, 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 I it's horrifying to think that these two men still at this point probably don't think that there was anything wrong with it. It was just it was pleasure based. And I, what was your sense of that? Did you get the same kind of you know sense from these two guys? One hundred percent. They have no remorse at all. They barely asked about the children, and it wasn't until the family member brought it up. Are you worried about the boys? Uh, the FCS took your children. Even if they were falsely accused, one would think a parent would be frantically asking, where's my child? Are they okay? Are they safe? There, there's no ban on them speaking about the children. Uh, so even even though the, the calls are monitored, you would just think if, if any percent of these accusations are false, they'd be worried frantically about their children, but they're not. They're worried about themselves. All you hear is me, me, me. Part four really shows... Uh, what jail conditions are like. And this is, of course, pretrial detainment. And if they were to be convicted, I think state prison is just a whole new monster for them. Mm. So right now they're they're crying. And these are people who are, I, I believe, being held anywhere from like tax evasion to um, fighting at a bar because this right. is just uh, this is low jail. level. This is low level detention. And I mean, the food, the lighting, the reading materials, the, I mean, it is just a litany of woe is me. These conditions are so terrible. We, and you really begin, you know, and that's when, you know, this is where I'd like to, what I'd like to explore with you in the next segment. Right. So you have these two lunatics again, like 
like sociopaths, narcissistic sociopaths. They, they don't even have the sense to even realize the scope of what they have done. And again, if you want to go back to the reporting, uh, both men sodomized these two little boys, very young boys, uh, nine, 10 years old for multiple years, physical abuse, uh, that was witnessed by family members in addition to the sexual abuse. They videotaped it. They took pictures of this and they have now disseminated those images out into the LGBT community. Two of uh, the individuals that they sold their sons to, the images, one, they actually sold sexual favors to another member, have been arrested and are being prosecuted. But in Mia's reporting, you will see that there are, according to court documents, more perpetrators out there that the DA and law enforcement apparently don't seem interested in pursuing, right? So that leads me to the system, Mia, right? Because these guys are are insane, horrific monsters, need to be plucked from society, put away, never, ever, ever to see the light of day again, let alone a child, right? And that set that on a shelf. But now let's begin to look at the apparatus around them that allows something like this to persist, that facilitated in the sale of these two little boys. And that's the way I see this. They purchased these boys for their own personal use and for their own pleasure and proclivity. And my question is, why aren't we screaming about the system the school, school mandated reporters, investigations, the DA, family court, CPS, right? And these adoption agencies. This is where I would like to go in the next segment with you because I think you have some insight into that. And I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Tonight, we are talking to Mia Cathal, fantastic reporting out of town hall. She's an investigative reporter. You can find her on Twitter at Mia Cathal, M I A C A T H E L L. Uh, truly courageous reporting. I commend you. We'll be back in a moment to continue this interview on the Shannon Joy Show. Mia Cathell of Town Hall. She has done the blockbuster four-part series that is not being hidden right now. I mean, it is being disseminated across Twitter. It is moving into the mainstream news media platforms. I believe I saw a post from the New York Post on this as well. Mia, which is great. We saw some coverage on Fox News with Laura Ingram. And I think you really are beginning to penetrate. Um, most reporting is looking at the horrific nature of these two monsters. And indeed, they are monsters. I would like to look at with you the system, like how this is allowed to happen in Atlanta, Georgia, and how it likely is happening across the country in suburban communities as we speak tonight. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, this whole thing started, I believe, in 2011, where there was another incident where Zachary, the one adoptive father, was previously accused of luring a 14-year-old boy to a house in Walton County. This is the same jurisdiction as today's child sexual abuse case and raping him there. But no charges were filed. There were no charges brought about. And even the district attorney said in court that it was closed without a whole lot of investigation into it. And so I reached out to the Walton County Sheriff's Office and asked, 
you know, who can we hold accountable? How did this happen? And their response is a bit of an admission. They said that we had different investigatory standards back then, and all of our officers have since retired. Different investigatory standards in 2011? They're acting like this was 50 years ago, that it was a different era, but you treat a child rape differently just over a decade ago. That's something that's mind boggling. And even then, I didn't even ask, you know, what are the names of the officers for them to right away say they have since retired because they know that there's blame to be placed here. And, and even so, it's it's there had to have been some kind of administration. Mm. Um, and so I even public records requested the 2011 incident report, which this case is based on, and they denied it. It looks like the sheriff's office accidentally sent me their internal emails. So I saw them debating on releasing it to me. Right. And so I, I had asked multiple times, are you officially reopening the case? And no one gave me a straightforward answer. They used soft language like we're looking back into it. We're reviewing matters. Um, and so then when the detective on the current case said no, it could affect um, you know, the current investigation, which I don't see how. It was releasable because it was closed, right? Uh, the previous case, and so now it looks like they just decided, you know what, no. And so I wonder, this could just be like a one-page report, could be a few scribbles, a few police notes. I wonder if it could implicate whatever police officer wrote this down, right. and maybe how they dismissed the case because it was a fourteen-year-old who named Zachary. So this is a child's plight. Wow. Ignored. Wow. It seems like a cover-up. It seems like a cover-up. And so this started in 2011. Have you had any success in reaching out to that victim? Has there been any work to find the the victim of that original rape um, that was reported? Um, Is that something that you're pursuing right now? Yeah. I was hoping from the incident report that if they were to release it, if the name was on there, because all of the court documents that I found um, for this whole investigation, they listed the little boy's names in there. And that's something that usually uh, police redact. But it was all available there. And these are minors. These are little boys. And Mm -hmm. so the 14-year-old, I saw in their internal emails, they said that they were concerned about the victim's identity coming out, um, even though they could redact that as well. So no, there are no leads with that. And um, I would hope that the 14-year-old boy who's now grown up, who's now an adult, hopefully he's healed and maybe he will feel brave enough to come Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. and and speak about how the state ignored him. I I wonder if it was him. I wonder if it was his parents. And, you know, this is my kind of speculation. Georgia was very weird with sodomy laws because for a long time, I believe they criminalized sodomy between two consenting adults. And now I think they go to the other extreme that they're afraid of being accused, being bigoted and homophobic for addressing any kind of predatory issues in the LGBT community. And Hmm. so that's kind of what happened with the Jeffrey Dahmer case of how he raped that 14 year old boy, um, how police when police negligence there that they kind of shrugged it off as a lover's quarrel to boyfriends and laughed it off and not see it as a man taking advantage of a child. So I wonder if that's what happened with this 2011 case, because Zachary, he was in his early twenties, 23, 24, I guess, because he's 35 now. Um, So I don't know if they saw it as, Oh, 
you know, even though that age difference, he has no business being with a child. We've seen consistent efforts from some in the LGBT community, particularly here in New York State, Fredonia, professor who has now been removed from his position at Fredonia, openly advocating for lowering of the ages of consent. Uh, He advocated and uh, approved of the practice of adult infant sexual relations. It was one of the most disturbing disturbing recorded conversations I've ever witnessed. I played it on my show um, many, many months ago because, you know, there is, people need to understand there is a very strong thread within that community that would like to see those ages of consent lowered significantly, significantly. And I'm not, not just talking about 14, 13, 12. Um, They're advocating for some really sick stuff. They're advocating on the record, as we saw from this Fredonia professor. And we're also seeing, Mia, this is just on a side note, I mentioned that we have probably two dozen people working on this in my own local community, removing very graphic child pornography from our elementary school libraries, our middle school libraries in Fairport, New York. And in one case, one of the books entitled This Book is Gay gives step-by-step instructions. And the reason I'm bringing this up is the story about you know this original uh, rape allegation. One of the portions of that book is a step-by-step instruction on how to find other homosexual or homosexuals in your geographic area. So they say, turn on your location device on your phone, turn on that, so, you know, go to these different services. They have websites or places for these young kids to go where that will ping them geographically so that they can find other, and I'm, I'm quoting from the book, other homosexuals in their immediate geographic area so that they can hook up, meet up or whatever. This is in a book in a middle school, in a public library in New York state. So it's, I don't think that this is a stretch to say that the politics of today are so strange that these crimes are going uh, uninvestigated and unprosecuted. Thanks for listening to the Shannon Joy Show. We'll be right back. As you all know, the Joy family is super sporty. We all play volleyball. The kids are playing beach volleyball in the summer, high school volleyball in the fall. And right now we are traveling across the country almost every weekend, different city every weekend, playing club volleyball. And uh, the kids need good nutrition. Very difficult to be healthy on the road. Sometimes they're playing you know, up to five games a day, 10 games in a weekend, And they need the vitamins and minerals. They need the nutrition. And I'm so thrilled to partner up with Field of Greens so that they can get all of the vitamins and the nutrients and the nutrition that they need to supplement their regular diet and keep them full of energy and healthy on the court. Also, healing after these long tournaments is really important. And the product line over at Field of Greens is fantastic. It is an easy way to make sure that your family is getting the nutrients that they need all natural every single day. Go to fieldofgreens.com. That's fieldofgreens.com and plug in the promo code Shannon. You can check out their whole lineup of products. And if you put in that promo code Shannon, you'll get 15% off your order. So we're super excited to partner up with them and looking forward to a super healthy, super healthy 2023.
Well, uh, the book that you just described, it, it sounds like they're instructing children how to place themselves in very vulnerable positions for these predators out there, that they're just leading them to the net. And it's interesting that you brought that up because social media played such an important part in this whole story mm. that these child predators were able to congregate, to connect. They met um, on Grinder, a gay mm. hookup app. Uh, you know, it's marketed as a networking app, but on there, it's all for one night stands and orgies and all these kind of kinky stuff that it's not about building relationships or fostering, uh, you know, a, a loving kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, shame on Grinder and shame on Snapchat. That's where the child pornography was sent because mm-hmm. a lot of people have in their mind, this is an instant messaging app. They think it's encrypted and uh, Snapchat's intention when it was created was to send nudes, was to this this feeling of privacy. And so mm-hmm. now it's changed into something that they say, oh, preteens, teens, I'll use it. It's very cool. All it's of them. Yeah. Cool. But we know what its purpose was and what its purpose is now, which is to send a quick picture that they hope nobody can see. And if someone screenshots it, you get alerted. But, you know, a lot of these big tech platforms, I feel haven't been taking enough steps to combat this sexual exploitation of children. Grinder is just a honeypot for child predators. There's a lot of these amateur kind of pedo hunting groups that they're like to, to catch a predator. They're like Chris Hansen, but mm. these are just citizens who are concerned in their community. And so they set up amateur sting operations on Grinder to catch predators trying to meet with 13, 14 year old boys. And so I mean, Grinder, how it's used today, that's insane. And Snapchat, I reached out to them and asked, how are you combating sexual exploitation of children? And they told me, well, we don't allow anyone under the age of 13 to use our app. As that's if- a joke. That's an absolute joke. Every kid I know is on Snapchat. <laughs> like, that's insane. And, and um, above 13 would still be a minor, right? So if, it, you know... By their standards, they shouldn't have anyone under 18 on Snapchat because they're they're not at the age of consent. Um, what in terms of statute in child pornography statutes, can Snapchat be implicated, prosecuted? I mean, if they're if they have a a platform that is being used in, in your reporting in town hall, it was used to send pictures, images of young nine and 10 year old little boys being raped, right. By adults. Is there, is there any culpability or, or any way to go after them uh, in terms of prosecution? I mean, I, I would hope, but they have such powerful legal apparatus, even if there was some kind of class action lawsuit, because this happens more than often, it happens outside of Georgia that victims could you know, bring a lawsuit against Snapchat because they were the platform and they claim to use law enforcement's image identification technology that it recognizes child pornography and terminates the account. But I mean, the one father's account was still active, was still being used sure. um, months after they were arrested. So that clearly didn't happen. But I would like to see a lot of these big tech platforms being held accountable for the damage that they caused. And they've really contributed to this social media age that's uh, nurtured narcissism, 
narcissism, mm. uh, this kind of sociopathy we're seeing. And I mean, I thought it was interesting how these are 33 and 35 year old grown men, but they are posting selfies with a million hashtags. They want to be seen. They wanted to be heard. They wanted to rise to prominence. And they're posting like a 16 year old TikTok influencer. Right. Right. Clearly, we're trying to become some kind of icon in the gay activism scene. But yeah, I mean, part four, happy to see they're not faring well in jail because this mm-hmm. is what happens when you have materialistic gays fending for themselves. And then- yeah. yeah, we're talking to Mia Cathal. She is an investigative reporter with Town Hall. You can find her on Twitter at Mia Cathal, C-A-T-H-E-L-L. She is... Uh, the journalist who has broken the four-part series, really going in depth on this horrific story of the LGBTQ suburban child sex trafficking ring. These two gentlemen, married men, um, apparently were, have been busted and they are now um, facing, I believe, 17 um, charges indicted now and they are awaiting trial. Fantastic reporting from Mia Cathel. When we come back, We're going to go behind even a little deeper. We're going to look at the courts, CPS, Foster, these so-called Christian adoption agencies, all of the systems, the institutions that failed these two little boys. And as we speak tonight, could be failing them again right now, because as of tonight, no one has any idea where these boys are. They have been sucked in by the system again. And we are told they are in foster care. Um, That really worries me, Mia. I don't know if it keeps you up at night as well. But when we come back, we're going to explore that on tonight on the Shannon Joy Show. Tonight, Mia Cathell of Town Hall joins me in the Joy Virtual Studio to go behind the scenes in her four-part series that was released on Town Hall, The Horrifying Facts of a Suburban LGBTQ Child Sex trafficking ring. Many of you have read the horrifying story. You've seen some of the interviews. We're going a little bit deeper tonight on the Shannon Joy Show with Mia, who has done just such amazing reporting. Mia, let's talk about, uh, you know, you said in the last segment, this case really started one of the gentlemen, one half of this married couple who purchased two little boys from the state to use for their own purposes. That's the way I see this. But um, this goes way back to 2011. One of the the men in this in this marriage was accused by a 14 year old boy of raping him, luring him to his home and raping him. This was not investigated, brushed under the rug, covered up by Atlanta police. And then fast forward, you know, less than a decade later, he is now, you know, petitioning the state to adopt two young boys. Apparently the adoption agency didn't pick up on that report. The court system, the foster care system or whatever, uh, you know, entity released the children into, into his care, didn't bother with that. But so, you know, number one, strike number one against the system and placing these two little boys with this predator. Um, but then what happened after that? I mean, I keep thinking about the biological parents, the mother and the father. Like what, have you been able to uncover anything about the circumstances surrounding the removal of these brothers from their parents in the first place? Yeah, all I know is the biological parents were addicted to heroin. So these were struggling heroin addicts 
The state, of course, intervened, but then they placed them into arguably an even worse household, an abusive household with two pedophiles. And as you were saying, they're back in foster care. We don't know where they are. All we can do is pray for their safety, pray that they've started to heal. But uh, the family, um, the, the adoptive family, they aren't, you know, allowed to know what happened to the boys because of their connection to William and Zachary. So it has to be complete, no contact. Uh, everything's cut off, no communication. So we don't really know where they are. They could be with even worse people if that's even possible. But yes, it's inconscionable to think how a previously accused child rapist was able to go on and adopt not one, but two children from a so-called Christian special needs adoption agency. And its name, the faith-based agency is All God's Children Incorporated. Mm. It's horrible to think that God's name was was in the title of it and that this agency could facilitate uh, this placement and Mm. in a sense, allow this abuse to happen. And so the adoption process was expedited. The family members said they passed everything with flying colors. There was an event page for the adoption shower that said that. It, can, oh, yes. Can I hold you up for one second? Because th- that word popped out to me in your reporting in the first uh, part of your reporting. The adoption was expedited, according to the family member. Do you have any insight in as in into why it moved so quickly? Why it was expedited? What was so special about these two darlings of the LGBTQ community that grease the wheels for this adoption. Any insight? My suspicion is, you know, a lot of Christian run organizations are afraid of being bullied, afraid of being made a public spectacle. And we've seen cases go all the way up to the Supreme court for this. So a lot of Christian organizations allow themselves to betray their beliefs Mm. and be open to same sex couples because they're just afraid of the news media picking up on it, that they're discriminatory, that they're bigoted, that they're homophobic. But this particular organization, based on the executive director's uh, direct message conversation with Zachary, the one adoptive father, I think the agency was liberal leaning to begin with. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's, It's one of those you know, because they're tied with the First Presbyterian Church of Athens. Mm. They were partly funded by their Pentecostal offerings. They were a grant recipient. So I think these are one of those churches that fly the pride flag outside of it. The mm-hmm. all are welcome and um, a lot of woke takeover of the church. Oh, it's so, indeed a church. Oh, it's a church. They worship the cause of the LGBTQ. I don't know how much like, you know, biblical study they do. <laughs> I'm not going to judge there, but I don't and you you're you are spot on in mentioning the grant money that's always a signal when you have the nonprofits or the public private partnerships or any of these organizations it's just raking in the grant money for whatever it is the federal government or state government whatever agenda it is they want to pursue that's often a component so this was it was a Christ, it was a christian adoption agency i guess if we're going to be if we're going to be you know, uh, fair. All right. And so they expedited this, um, to basically signal to the community we're LGBTQ friendly. We're going to give pre- you know, preference to these type of situations. What about, uh, you know, the money, Th- these gentlemen went from, and this again, you know, we share a, a mutual friend, Megan Fox, 
over at PJ Media. She's done a decade's worth of such phenomenal reporting on this systemic kidnapping of children by the family court system, CPS, um, even these foster systems and the billion dollar industry that is removing children from homes. And granted, there are certain circumstances where a child needs to be saved. They need to be taken from a home, but this is a machine. I mean, this is, they take the children, they put them on the market almost, I mean, with pictures and they literally sell them to people, but they don't just sell them. They also, I mean, there's also money coming in. The state is also paying these people in certain circumstances to, to take these kids. Can you, you know, these two men went from being like suburban middle-class to building a nearly $1 million mansion and raking in, I think you reported $6,500, $7,500 per week out of nowhere on a banker's salary and a state worker's salary. Thanks for listening to The Shannon Joy Show. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I am so psyched to be working with the folks over at Colonial Metals Group. You guys know that I am all about personal empowerment, never living in fear or waiting for some politician to save you. Being at the whim of the stock market or the current administration does not make me feel safe or secure, but having a self-directed IRA where I can safely store physical gold and silver assets that have stood the test of time makes a lot of sense to me. Let the team of experts at CMG help you protect your family's future. Maybe you're just getting started. Maybe you're already in a 401k or an IRA, or maybe you're thinking about your parents' retirement. Regardless of your situation, Colonial Metals Group can help. We put together a special offer for this audience. Click on the link in the description below or call 888-705-0950. That's 888-705-0950 and you'll be eligible to receive a free safe and up to $10,000 in free silver. Don't sit around waiting for a politician to save you. Save yourself, protect your wealth, and call Colonial Metals Group today. Right. Um, this wealth just materialized out of nowhere. Uh, a lot of family members were suspicious because it came to be about a year after the boys moved in. And so part of that funding was from the state that they received child support from the state until the boys turned 18. And as you were saying, the state loves the money coming in. They're willing to pay uh, its residents. And so I believe the special needs status of the children Part of it could have been a bit exaggerated because a lot of agencies do this to receive more state funding. Mm. And it could be ADHD, it could be autism. And nowadays, a lot of children are misdiagnosed who just need attention, who need therapy. Yeah. Uh, but the boys, one of them has had an emotional behavioral disorder, it seems. He was in uh, a classroom for that. And of course, whatever um, issues they had being raised by heroin addicts. And then uh, how the agency defines special needs is older children who are harder to be placed because they've waited the longest or a bonded sibling pair. So they fit those that definition of special needs. But still, you would if if they were convicted, then it seems that these two men, they decided, let's pick the most vulnerable children possible 
mm-hmm. the children who have waited forever for a family. Let's they chose some small agency that's LGBTQ friendly, and it all everything just fit into place. The stars aligned for them, and it, it's just crazy that uh, they were just wedded in December 2017. The boys moved in in March 2018, and then. Georgia's courts made them official November 2018, just seven months after the boys moved in. And, you know, there's a lot of two parent households that wait for years on a wait list for for babies. Yeah. Yet this was completely expedited and these gentlemen were rewarded handsomely. I mean, the the state paid, obviously, that child support. The family members, though, suspected that there was something else nefarious going on, that the money was coming in 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 other ways. Can you expand on that, like what what the sentiment from the family member was? Yeah, so they're charged in the 17-count indictment with a felony pandering of a person under 18, which removing the legalese, that's prostitution of a minor. Mm. There's two counts, count 16 and count 17, accuses the fathers of soliciting two other men who were arrested uh, to engage in an act of prostitution with their 11-year-old child. And he just turned 11 in the summer. So this could have been when he was 10. This could have been earlier. The, the range of dates is very wide. And so, yes, I believe the textbook definition of prostitution is a transaction, a sexual act for financial gain. And so, their house is seized, their assets are seized, their vehicles are seized. And right now there's like a civil complaint to forfeit the property. And I'm not sure if that goes to, you know, because it was a probable cause seizure warrant that was signed off by a judge. If it was on suspicion of a RICO act, because the judge mentioned at the bond hearing, the prosecution possibly proceeding forward under the child sex trafficking statute of the RICO act. And it's Georgia's own adopted act. Uh, from the federal law that's designed to take down organized crime. So that's what I was wondering that the state was heavily implying in the court documents without outright saying, where did this wealth come from? This is dirty money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that would implicate potentially high profile individuals in Atlanta. It would implicate potentially multiple other. I mean, if you're looking at a $1 million mansion and they're raking in $7,500 a week, that's a lot of clients. That is. So are you satisfied that the state is really pursuing this? What is your sense? Um, you you know, in some ways you worry that they'll, they'll cover it up. Or if if this case gets too close to people who are prominent, or maybe well-known in the community, you know, what could that do? Like, what is your sense that this is really going to be prosecuted to the full extent and that names are going to be named? Because we all know, you know, back to the famous Jeffrey Epstein case, we know about the traffickers. We know about the facilitators. We know everything about Jelaine and Jeffrey. We know nothing about the book, the actual perpetrators, the people who engaged in the the actual acts of rape or or sodomy or those criminal acts with underage girls. So do you think we're going to get there in this case in particular? Yeah, I two things I want to know. One, the state seems to be patting themselves on the back for a job well done because they were part of the rescue mission to save the two boys, but they won't acknowledge the part that they played in placing these children in harm's way. The sheriff's office didn't do their 
due diligence back then. And County DFCS, uh, Department of Children and Family Services, uh, they had some kind of oversight and involvement with sure. this licensed child placing agency. Yeah. And so there's that. And I don't think they're willing to take any kind of responsibility. They they just want to take the hero's way instead of realizing like the whole system and the whole cycle is corrupt. And now the boys are being eaten by the system yet again. But two, yes, I, I wonder if the state will continue to pursue these other suspects that the district attorney said is still out there circulating videos of these abused boys. And I mean, in their own minds and in these pedophiles minds, the ones who simply possess and watch child pornography, I think they believe that it's a victimless crime. They're not the mm. ones distributing it. They're not the ones producing it. And there's just some kind of cognitive dissonance there. They don't realize that the children in those videos are real children, their trauma and their abuse are real. And so it's just as heinous of a crime because they are indulging in this market. And right. so I hope that because there's as many as 12 people that Zachary admitting admitted to sending the child pornography to. So we have a longer list of names to come out. And the two that they have arrested, uh, Lawless and Viscaro Sanchez, these are losers. These seem like very low rung on the ladder. Yeah, I think. And the one was accused of, uh, he was a Kroger employee, he was accused right. of shoplifting and he's facing these kind of theft charges. These aren't the ones who are providing them with all this wealth. Exactly. I mean, that's where, that's why my mind goes directly to prominence. At the very least, people with means, people who could potentially grease, help grease the wheels for an LGBTQ adoption that would facilitate access to young boys on a regular basis for an extended period of time. I mean, that's, that's because there's no other way to make sense of all of this. These guys live in like a regular, you know, split level, whatever. And then they build this custom mansion. They have all this money coming in. They're living this like, you know, super high end, you know, poster boys for the LGBTQ movement. They're, they're photographed on these, you know, anti-hate, like don't hate campaigns, which blows my mind. Right. I mean, that's the opposite. It's the opposite of who these two men were. They, they, they were hateful, hateful, vile, despicable, soulless creatures who who victimized and tortured and abused little boys for years. I like I don't know how we as a culture and you know the the culture, the community within Atlanta, local news reporters in Atlanta, local police officers in Atlanta. I mean, my sense, Mia, is this kind of slipped through the cracks. I, you know what my guess is? I'm just going to say it. And then we'll go to break and I'll get what you, you know, your thoughts on this. It seems to me that one night, you know, some good cops stumbled upon a really bad actor who released some very detailed information that gave them enough to go in and bust these guys. Like right then, they probably got in front of one of the last good judges on the face of the planet locally and said, hey, can we have a warrant in the middle of the night, whenever? And they were able to do this. And it, you know, I have just my senses, if this had gone any further, if this had been run up the ladder to a supervisor or maybe a supervisor over that, that we might have seen, we might not have seen this. We might, this might not have broken through you know, whatever is going on, the corruption within the system. And it's just a hunch that I have. It, I have no proof of it. 
But when we come back, I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well, because things don't make sense in something like this. And we're going to finish off this interview. Mia Cathell, investigative reporter, Town Hall. She is fantastic. Keep it tuned right here as we finish off this really, really fascinating, disturbing, but very important interview. We'll be back in a moment. Go. Welcome back to the Shannon Joy Show. Mia, did I get over my skis in the last? I mean, I like I just my mind immediately goes there. I guess maybe I've been trained by the whole Epstein thing. Like, of course, there are big name people, powerful people involved in this. Like, you can't have this without some kind. And I'm not trying to go down the conspiracy route, but I mean, does it make sense to you what I just laid out? I think it makes sense because. I think we ought to be suspicious and ought to dig further. It's in our nature as human beings to wonder how big of an operation this is. Uh, in part two, which I was just exploring how far reaching the pedophile ring was, this family went on these excessive trips. They were mm. staying at Airbnbs all over America. And the implication is if they were raping these little boys at home, they were doing it in different states and they were crossing state lines and I mean, they were taking constant trips everywhere and families usually only take one or two trips a year, but they were going everywhere and they were staying at cabins. They were staying in different states. Um, the one adoptive father was bragging about hoping to buy up property next to them. They already have this massive two acre mansion. They were thinking about um, buying a condo down in Alabama. So to them, it was just this extravagant, lavish lifestyle that they loved living. And the boys were just, you know, a commodity to them. Mm. And how you see it, the state procured these children for them. So you're saying that they were marketed, that their pictures were out there. Um, and so uh, in, in the one conversation that the adoptive father had with the same agency that has since closed down, they revealed that they were looking to adopt a little girl next. And mm. they said, preferably toddler age, we would prefer two or three. And that's not how adoptive parents speak. They, they pray for a happy and healthy child that they can adopt and that they can love. Not we would prefer that's like being on a dating app and saying, I prefer this, I prefer that. And so it, they just didn't seem like children to them. They just mm. seemed like property. The website, the national website for the adoption of children across America, I my stomach turns when I look at it, Mia, because it really does seem like a market. It seems like a market of children seized from their biological parents, maybe some rightfully so, but it just makes you wonder how many of them should be with their parents or how many of them would be better off even in a, a situation where you know, maybe the parents are are working through drug addiction or, but, you know, relatives, it's just, it is a massive story. We don't have enough time. I would love to have you back on the program and follow all of your investigation, because I do think Mia, you're pulling on a thread here that does go way deeper and it touches some of the worst problems within our systems in the United States of America that are facilitating this. And this is, this story is, it's insane. It's, it's insane. I'm glad that you're, you're covering it. Is there any way that people can support you 
follow your, your reporting support town hall, because I really hope that you'll be able to do this and more in the future. Yeah, we have a a premium membership subscription called VIP. And so to become a VIP member, we have a discount code that we created because of the buzz that my investigation started. It's TH investigation. If anyone would like to join and we have a lot of stuff coming out soon. I have something hopefully at the end of the week that comes out because I'm staying on the pedophile beat. I think this is a topic that we really need to expose because on the left, they like to brush it off as conspiracy theories, QAnon, save our children, Pizzagate kind of stuff. But this is a very real issue, especially the Zulak case. It shows that these children exist, their pain and their trauma is real. And I think it's even more uh, tangible than the Epstein case where a lot of families, parents, you know, they hug their kids closer when they heard about it, but that's something that happened in high society that right. it seems removed from middle class. Well, this is an upper, upper middle class right. situation. This is, this is the suburban neighborhood next door. And indeed with the, the Jeffrey Epstein case, which I think probably did go much deeper than, than what is being reported, but indeed these were, these were young girls, but these were girls who were approaching the age of consent, right? You know, 14, 15, 16, 17, all girls, which is horrific in and of itself, but this is a whole different scenario. These are two boys seized from their biological parents. Quite frankly, the story about them being heroin addicts is the story that the state is telling us too, Mia, right? Because everything, I mean, the, the secrecy is one of the biggest problems with CPS foster in the family court system is that there's no, like scrutiny is not allowed and journalists cannot get access to information that is potentially relevant in protecting young children. These boys should... We should know where they are. Someone should know where they are. I, I am. I think the the fact that they they were scooped up, replaced. The system has them. Some like this nameless, faceless cloud system. Who are we even talking about? We don't know, and that just it does not sit well with me. So I am so thankful that you are staying on that pedophile beat and continue to do that. I'm going to support you. I'm going to do a VIP membership just for you on town hall because you deserve it. You really do. And you need to be supported. And I'm, I'm going to do, you know, everything I can. And I hope that you'll, you'll stay in touch and, and you'll continue to do this reporting. I'll have you back on anytime. Okay. I'd love to come back on. Thank you so much for sharing this story, for bringing attention to it. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. She is Mia Cathell. Remember her name, investigative reporter for Town Hall. You can find her on Twitter. Follow her today at Mia Cathell. We look forward to future reporting and protecting these kids because I can see that that's your heart and that's amazing. Okay. All right. Thanks everyone for watching the Shannon Joy Show. Keep it tuned right here. We'll be back tomorrow to do it all again on the Shannon Joy Show. Hey everyone, Shannon Joy for Connecta Mobile. So when I started my show 10 years ago, I would talk to my friends about privacy and the Fourth Amendment, and they would look at me like I had three heads. Now, fast forward to 2024, post-COVID, and everyone is talking about privacy. We are freaked out by AI, grossed out by government surveillance, and very aware that data is the new gold. Combine that with the new reality that your whole life and all of your data is on your phone and in the palm of your hands, making you a sitting duck for common hackers, corporate hustlers, or government spies. 
Are you going to let them get away with that? Well, I'm not. And that's why I use my Connecta mobile phone as the official business phone for Joy Media. That's because Connecta is the only phone company that specializes in security and privacy above all else. Call Connecta Mobile today and talk to a real person who lives in the United States about securing your devices and communications for as little as $35 a month. Their basic plan includes device encryption, encrypted text, and data, also a free phone. That's just the beginning. Call 941-246-2156 to talk to a representative. That's 941-246-2156. Or go to phone123.com slash joy today. That's phone123.com slash joy. Get securely connected today only with Connecta.